as we turn our hearts to study God's word, let's pause together in prayer. Father God, we pray that you would speak your truth to us. May there be lessons that we need to learn. May there be obedience that must be forged. May there be wisdom that we can glean. May there be direction that we would know the way in which we should go that leads to life. As you speak, may we listen and learn and so live to your glory. Through Christ our Lord we ask. Amen. In the early 1990s, the nation of Rwanda was known as the most Christian country in Africa, with around 90% of the inhabitants there claiming connection with a Christian church. Then on the 6th of April, 1994, the president's jet was shot down and all hell broke loose. In the space of just 100 days, 800,000 people were slaughtered in an interracial bloodbath as Tutsis and Hutus hacked each other to death with machetes. These people called themselves Christians, but such professions of faith were just a veneer. Their primary identities were tribal. They claimed to have faith in Christ, but they retained twisted Tutsi and Hutu hearts. As we turn to study God's word this morning, the primary issues raised by Paul are about where you and I get our identity and how we determine our self-worth. What is your primary identity? How do you determine your sense of worth? In these verses that David read for us, we have a very different encounter with the Apostle Paul. No longer is he making complex theological arguments to state his case. Here we have on display Paul the pastor's heart. As John Stott commented, we see Paul as the passionate lover of soul. He is deeply concerned for the Galatian Christians. He is worried that they have lost their primary identity. Back in verse 7 of this chapter, Paul was keen to remind the Christians in Galatia that they were redeemed, they were adopted, they were heirs of one that they could rightly call Abba Father. This was supposed to be their primary identity, children of God. And their worth was to be determined by the price that their heavenly father was willing to pay to buy them back out of slavery to sin. And that redemption price was the blood of Jesus Christ. Their identity, redeemed heirs of a heavenly father. And their worth, blood bought at Calvary. But now they're becoming confused. Now they're allowing others to flatter and deceive them, to remove their freedoms and to bring them back into bondage. So Paul's message to them is this. Don't lose your identity. He writes in Galatians 4 verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. I have become like you. What does Paul mean by that? Well, he has proven himself to be 
culturally flexible. Because these elements that Paul had once prized, in which he had once found his self-worth, he had believed to be the most important things about him. That is, that he was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of the highest order, utterly observant to the law. These things were no longer important to him. Elsewhere, he calls them dung. Philippians 3, verse 8. He explains his strategy in mission in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 21 to 22. He says, To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Secure in his primary identity as a redeemed child of God, for the sake of the gospel in secondary things, Paul could show incredible flexibility. And with missional boldness and great, a great personal cost, he became as they were to win them for Christ. He became as they were. Now his desire is that they would become as he is. And if Paul instructs his reader to become as he is, then we need to know what he is like. And, and we, we find that answer best to find back in Galatians 2 verse 20. For there Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This ought to be our primary identity. Cross-carrying, Christ-replicating, faith-dependent, exorbitantly redeemed children of God. In all other things, we can be flexible for the cause of the kingdom. But in this, there must be no confusion. Paul says, don't lose your identity. Remember my infirmity. The Galatians' attitude had changed towards Paul. In these verses, we learn some autobiographical details found nowhere else in Scripture. We learn that Paul spent time in the province of Galatia because of an unspecified illness. Christians suffer. They get sick. They die. But in all of this, God is ever at work to bring glory to his name and to do good for his people. And we know that it was through his suffering that the Apostle Paul came to understand and accept the all-sufficient grace of God for every trial. You can read about that in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And the story of these congregations is an illustration of that truth. Paul reminds the churches in Galatia that it was his season of illness, his infirmity, that had caused him to spend time with them and through this unscheduled stop to be the means by which they came to saving faith in Christ. And what a testimony to grace it is of which Paul reminds them. When it might have been natural for them to reject Paul because of this unsightly disease, 
The Greek here suggests that it's the sort of thing that would make you want to puke when you saw it. But rather than this, they received him as an angel, as though he were Jesus himself. They loved him well indeed. In verse 15, we learn that they would have gouged out their eyes for him if they could. It's not a pleasant thought. Perhaps it's better to us for us to think of, of maybe being willing to donate a kidney to help a friend in illness. Clearly, in his time of infirmity, there was nothing they wouldn't have done for the benefit of Paul. They loved him so much. And Paul addresses them as brothers. A deep, loving bond had been forged. But now, something has changed. And it wasn't the apostle. Their love for him had chilled. Paul, the one for whom they were once willing to sacrifice, is now alienated from them, even considered their enemy. And his message to them is this. Don't lose your identity. Remember my infirmity and beware of instability. The Galatians were being manipulated. Verse 17 Paul says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. The Judaizers, they had come between the Galatians and Paul. The bond of love, once so strong, is, is now severely damaged. And in the Galatians' eyes, Paul had gone from angel to enemy. These Judaizers were like a young man who, who woos and, and marries your daughter, but then begins systematically to poison her heart against her parents, to restrict her contact with them, all in order that he might be able to manipulate her as he would choose to her inevitable harm. The Judaizers fawned over the Galatians. They, they flattered them, but their intentions were not admirable. Their undoubted zeal was not Christ-honouring, but it was essentially nationalistic. They wanted to see these Galatians become Jewish converts, Jewish Christians, and to impose upon them the worst elements of colonialism. They wanted to steal their identity as those who had been declared righteous in Christ. They wanted to negate their newly acquired freedom. To make them Jewish, like themselves, and to bring them under the bondage to the law. Hopelessly attempting to please God and gain righteousness through their works. These Judaizers are, as Jesus described, the hired hands who care nothing for the sheep. See John 10 verse 13. Many years ago, a, a friend of mine who was a member of the church in which I was minister, shared with me that he was coming under a great deal of pressure to, to leave the Presbyterian church and to join the congregation in which his friends were involved. But he resolutely refused to do so. And he explained his decision to me like this. He said, every time they talk, it's oh, our minister says this and our minister says that. But he says, in our church, it's not that. It's, it's God's word says this. God's word says that. And here was someone who was not going to be 
flattered into losing his stability, his foundation on the truth of God's word. And this must be the goal to which we are all striving. As Paul writes of his quest for maturity to the church in Ephesus, words with which we began our service, Ephesians 4, 14, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We have to understand that there are ever cunning deceivers around. And we need to be on our guard and we must know and stand firm on the truth of the word of God as our only sure and stable foundation. Paul had worked among the churches in Galatia, revealing self-sacrificial love as he had proclaimed to them the gospel. And now the Judaizers had moved into their midst revealing their self-serving motives in their sweet-talking. And tragically, the, the Galatians had lapped it up. They had fallen for a hook, line and sinker. They had lost their sure footing on the truth of the gospel. So Paul's message to them is, don't lose your identity. Remember my infirmity. Beware of instability and see my love's intensity. Paul may be removed far from them geographically, physically, but not emotionally. As he shares with us throughout his writings to the churches, he always carried on his heart a deep burden of concern for all those little fellowships with which he had played a significant part in their formation. He was constantly in prayer for them. Because he loves these people, that love he has for them ought not to have been questioned. But the difference between Paul's intentions and the intentions of the Judaizers is seen in this. The nature of the words he speaks to them. He asks, verse 16, Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? The one who truly loves you is not afraid to speak hard words to you. The great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, If you really want to save men's souls, you must tell them a great deal of disagreeable truth. Now that's not an excuse to be unloving as we share the truth of the gospel, nor to try in some way to beat people over the heads with the Bible. No, Look at Paul's tenderness here. Verses 19 and 20. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. For mums, I think it's safe to say that giving birth is not their favourite thing. Afterwards, maybe, but in that moment, no way. I know this because I've watched it from a safe distance four times. Paul dares to say that the anguish he feels for the plight of the Galatians is akin to the pains of childbirth. 
Paul's great passion was to see the identity of the Galatians transformed that they might become more and more like Jesus, to see Christ formed in them. Ultimately, for Paul and for us, our concern should be not so much to hear people call themselves Christians, as to see increasingly their lives display Christ-like behaviour. More than a hundred years ago, there was an old lady living in Ireland who was well known for taking care of the pennies. And her neighbours were very surprised when uh, electricity became available in the area. She was among the first to have it installed. Several months later, the meter reader made his first call and was quite shocked to see there was scarcely any usage. He inquired to discover was her electricity working satisfactorily and she assured him that it was. Then he asked her, can't she explain why the meter reading was so low? Certainly, she answered. Each evening, when the sun sets, I turn on my lights just long enough to light my candles. And then I turn them off. The power to experience light in her life was available. But she preferred to limit its impact and live in the shadow. The purpose of the Christian life is to allow the truth of the Word of God and the power of the Spirit of God to work in us, to make us like Jesus. That Christ would be formed in us. That our identity, identity as Christians would be more than just skin deep and our worth would be unquestionable. I remember as a small child being really impressed by products that bore the seal of royal warrant of appointment. And two products in particular stand out in my mind. HP Sauce and Tate and Lyle's Golden Syrup. And I believe that these must be good because the Queen used them. And ought it not to be that God's children should so stand out in this world, it being evident that he has set his seal upon us, his favour rests upon us, and we show our likeness to him. We find our primary identity in him, and we are assured of our worth to him. May that be what you know. As God speaks truth into your heart, as he empowers you by his Holy Spirit, as Christ is formed more and more in you to his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you love us as we are, but you are not content to allow us to remain as we are. Your heart's desire is to see us change from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place. We pray that the mind of Christ would be formed in us. The likeness of Christ would be seen from us. That he would be glorified in our living day by day. That our profession would not be just skin deep, but our very being transformed by your presence and power at work within. Father, make us like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.